So we are, we are continuing week two uh, in our study through the book of 1 Peter. And last week, just to give a short recap from last week, last week really centered on the Apostle Peter giving some framework for a group of beleaguered Christians, a group of persecuted Christians. He kind of helped them to see that God sees them. You guys remember my thoughts from last Sunday that God sees and God knows and that God is actively working to fulfill his plan for his glory. And so this is what God is trying to speak through the Apostle Peter to a, a group of dispersed Christians. And so these Christians, because of persecution through the Roman Empire from Rome, they are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire to all these different regions. And in First Peter, it lists all the regions that they are spread all around. So you can imagine they're in a place that's not their home. They're in a place that they're not familiar with. They're in a place that, that, that they're not accustomed to. And not only are they not where they're accustomed to, but they are under persecution. Can you imagine living in an environment like that where it, you would feel a, a, a fearful for your life to go out in public because you have the reputation of being a Christian? You've made a declaration of faith, and so you go out in the public and, and you feel like, maybe if I do this, my life is, would be on the line. That's a reality that you and I don't experience, but it is a reality that was experienced through the early church, but it's also a reality that, it, that is experienced through, in Christians that are all around this world in places that aren't like our country, where, where we can worship freely, but other parts of the world, they cannot worship freely. And so, so, so this is the context. The Apostle Peter is trying to, at the beginning of this letter, in his, inter, in his introductory greeting, he's trying to, to, to remind these, 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 these persecuted, discouraged believers, God sees you, he knows you, he knows where you're at, you are called, you are chosen, God has not forgotten you. And then now, he's going to leave his, inter, his introductory greeting, and he's going to break out into praise. You know, any time, any moment of time is a great time to break out in praise, wouldn't you agree with that? Paul did it very often in his letters, and Peter does it in these verses. So we're going to look at a message this morning. We're going to look at Peter's praise break, his doxology, his praise, his prayer, in these next verses in 1 Peter. And I've titled the message, A Living Hope, A Living Hope. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we will jump in. God, I pray this morning that, that you would speak to us, as Pastor Matt said earlier, God, it is your word that changes us. Because your word, as it says in the book of Hebrews, is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces, it cuts, it divides, it it separates, it exposes, it heals. God, it is your word that does that. God, as believers in Jesus Christ, we submit ourselves to your word. And we ask that you would do all those things, that you would heal, that you would cut, you would expose, that you would minister to our hearts and change us today. Lord, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever experienced he-wraith? He-wraith. H-I-R-A-E-T-H. Have you ever experienced he-wraith? Do you think you have? I, I know you don't know. <laughs> I didn't know this word either until this last week. Have you ever experienced he wraith? I'm here to tell you, you have. All of you in this room have experienced he wraith. And I may not even be pronouncing it right. I, I went on the computer and I, I looked at videos to make sure I'm pr- pronouncing it right. But I think my accent will, not, will prevent me from saying it correctly. The word he wraith is a Welsh word. There's a Welsh person from Wales here. They would be able to say it, and they'd be able to roll those R's just right. And I saw, I listened to some people on video from Wales, and they would say the word he-wraith, and it sounded a lot different than the way I said it. But you have experienced he-wraith, and I've experienced he-wraith. He-wraith is another word, the Welsh word, for being homesick, for having a longing to be back home. Have you experienced he-wraith? Anybody? Now that you know what he-wraith is, have you, have you experienced that? I don't care how great the vacation spot is. I don't care how wonderful it is and the scenery could be amazing. And and and, and when you first get to that vacation spot and and you're there, you think to yourself, oh, I could stay here forever. And and, and you're enjoying it and you're loving it. Maybe you go to the mountains and you look at this mountain view and you think, I I just never want to go back home. 
day one, day two, day three, four, five. I don't know how long it takes you, but eventually that bed that you're in is not like your bed. That pillow you're laying on, unless you brought your pillow, is not like your pillow. Those, those surroundings that you are in is not like your surroundings. There begins to be this rising up of heraith in your heart and this longing, this homesickness, this reality that, that no, yeah, this is great and, and Disney is wonderful for a moment and, and, and playing golf for a long time is wonderful for a moment and, and this vacation is great for a moment in this season, but this is not it. It's not my, it's not my spot. This is not my place. This is not my home. And this is the context with which the Peter, the apostle, is speaking to a group of Christians that are dispersed all over. And they are experiencing hearing. They're experiencing a longing to be back home. And in their mind, they're thinking practically of where they were from. They're dispersed, as we said earlier, all over the Roman Empire. And they had to leave their homes. And now they're living in a place that is not their home. And I know that that's not our experience here today. You're living where you want to live, right? You're living where you want. You chose to live where you're living. Maybe some of you here today, you say, well, no, I didn't really. But for most of us, we're we're living where we choose to live. But I believe that we can have the same feeling that those first Christians had, the the ones that Peter is writing to. We may be living where we want to live, but where we are living on planet Earth is not our home. This is not, I have a sense of heraith. When I look around this world today, I have a sense of, of, of longing, a deep longing. Oh God, this is ultimately not our home. This brokenness, this sin, this reality, this is not, this is not what it is meant to be. And God, I long for the day. I long for the day that, that this body will be no longer subjected to temptation and sin. I long for the day that this body will no longer be subjected to sickness and disease. I long for the day when we can be in your presence forever, we can dwell in heaven with you and, and, and we will be your God. Uh, you will be our God and we will be your people. We will, you will walk amongst us, as scripture says. You long for that day? This is the context. This is what Peter, this is who Peter is writing to a group of Christians that are living in Heraith. And, and we are those Christians. But he does something that is different than what he did in his introduction. In his introduction, he's giving, he's giving the Christians the big picture view. He's saying God knows, he's a God who sees, he's a God who knows, and he's working his plan. And then now he's going to break out in praise and in worship and in prayer. And as a result of that, he's trying to help these believers who are experiencing he He's trying to help them to recenter their focus. So that's what we're going to look at today in these next verses in 1 Peter. Let's listen, let's read these verses, verses 3 through 5, chapter 1. Blessed be God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter breaks out. This is his doxology. It's got an exclamation point after the first line. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is blessing God in his letter. He's saying, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he unpacks the reasons why we should bless God. Why is it that we bless God? He's wanting to get these believers like you and I, who are in the middle of of Heraith, who are in the middle of seasons of our life that may be difficult and challenging, he wants us to lift our eyes up. He's breaking into praise and he invites us as believers, homesick believers. Are you homesick? He's inviting homesick believers to join him. You guys ready to join him? This is the first thing he says. The first thought that we're going to talk about this morning is that he says, he says that we should bless the Lord at all times. Look at that first verse. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is telling these believers in the middle of their exile, in the middle of their dispersion, in the middle of their heraith, their homesickness. He's saying, listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless the Lord at all times. Now look, Peter could have started out. After his introductory greeting, he could have started out dealing with the issues they're going through. And in verse 6, he does. And we're going to look at that next week. In verse 6, he begins to specifically start to talk 
about the, the trials and the fiery things that they're walking through. He begins to go into the details, but before he goes into the details, he says, wait a minute, listen, you need to bless the Lord. You need to bless the Lord at all times. Is that easy for you to do that? I find it difficult for me. You, do you find it difficult as much as I do to bless the Lord at all times? Isn't it easy to bless the Lord whenever things are going well for you? Yeah? Isn't it easy to bless the Lord whenever we have the job that we like and the finances that we need and our relationships are all well and everything is peachy cream and we're good to go? Yeah, God, I'll bless you during those times, but how difficult is it to bless the Lord when all the circumstances of your your life, you look all around you and you think, God, there is nothing around me that looks like I want it to look like. These are the people that Peter is writing to, and I believe that he's writing to, that we have that same similar experience. And he's trying to get them and to get us to bless the Lord, to look up, to say, you know what? I, I, I know I don't have the circumstances that I have, but there's something powerful that happens when I bless the Lord at all times, at all times. He doesn't begin with the obvious realities that they're facing. He begins with focusing on the greater reality of the greatness of God. That's what Peter's trying to get them to see. There's a greater reality. Listen, listen. This is what you see right here. Your circumstance sometimes, that's all you can see. But Peter's saying, I want you to see the greater reality that God is greater than what you see. God is greater than, than what you see. And when we look around today, we can think, God, you, there's, so much, there's so many things around us that look so much greater than, than anything we've ever seen. And cause us to be discouraged and depressed and overwhelmed. And this is the power of us blessing, the, blessing God, opening our mouth and praising him. It causes us to see the greatness of God. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that you know is completely clueless, clueless. Have you? Is it the person sitting next to you? <laughs> yeah, you, don't have to, you don't have to say yes. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you know they're just completely clueless? And, and, and what's a phrase that we say when somebody's completely clueless? They can't see the reality that's right in front of them. What's the phrase that we might use? We might say something like this. We might say, you, you, they can't see the forest for the trees. You ever been with somebody like that? They're like, in the, it, it's obvious. Everyone else around them is looking and, and they can't see the forest from the trees because they're so wrapped up in what is in front of them that they're clueless to the bigger picture. So what is it that somebody needs to see when they're in that situation and they can't see the forest because of the trees? What do they need to do? They need to go up. Because when you go up, what happens? Your perspective changes. Like if you, literally, if you can't see the forest for the trees, you need to get in a helicopter, you need to get in an airplane, and you need to go up so you can see the landscape. And this is what Peter and our Lord is trying to get us to do. That in these moments, this is the power of blessing the Lord at all time. Blessing the Lord no matter what is going on. We're, sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees because, because we have the wrong perspective. And we need to bless the Lord. And when we bless the Lord and when we praise Him, when we open our mouths, it causes us to, to, to shoot up into the heavenlies in our heart and to see the bigger picture that God is greater and God is better. Is he does keep on getting better, doesn't he? No matter what happens all around us, I love that song, you keep on getting better. Look at, listen, listen to the psalmist David. Psalm 34, he says, I will bless the Lord when? At all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I will bless the Lord at all times. Bless the Lord at all times. But how often do the circumstances of our life successfully silence our lips from blessing our God? How, how often? And I would say it's very often in my life. I'm guilty just as much as you are. There's so many times I get in circumstances, and what am I doing with my lips instead of blessing God? Complaining. I'm discouraged. I'm speaking things I should not be speaking. Do you do that like I do? Am I the only one here today? You get in overwhelming circumstances and it's the end of the world. 
Are you an end of the world type person? No, some of you are, are ever optimist. I'm more like a realist, <laughs> which I think is a pessimist, really. <laughs> I, think, um, I think realists really are just pessimists, and you know, they, they cover up, try not to say they're pessimists, but they really are, because I'm just a realist. And you get in those moments, and you're just, a, I'm just being real. This is not going to work. We're never going to get past this. It's too big. Might as well quit. Our circumstances cause us, our lips, to start saying things we shouldn't say and preventing us from saying things we should. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Amen? In my mouth always. Bless the Lord. Praise Him in the valley. Praise Him on the mountaintop. Praise Him at all times. Praise Him in the wilderness. Praise Him in the desert. Praise Him when you don't feel like it. Open your mouth and praise Him. Amen? Open your mouth and praise Him. Peter's trying to shift the focus of dispersed and persecuted believers to the only place, to the only place that can be the anchor of our soul. The only place. That's God's presence. That's God's presence. That's His power. You know what's powerful is that Peter's speaking to a group of Christians. A lot of them would have been Jews. A lot of them would have been Gentiles. But those Jews that he was speaking to through this letter, they would have known of a tradition that happened in the synagogue. In the synagogue, in the Jewish synagogue, there was a Hebrew prayer that was called the Shemona Esrei. And I know I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but that just, that's the Ben Bufkin version of this prayer. The Shimona Esther, and it, it, it literally meant the 18 blessings, the 18 blessings. And there was 18 blessings, prayer blessings that would happen every time the Jews would worship in the synagogue. Every time worship would be gathered, the sacrifices would happen. They would gather and they would pray the 18 blessings. And the 18 blessings, every one of those 18 blessings would end with the refrain, Blessed be thou, O Lord. Blessed be thou, O Lord. Like what Peter is saying there, blessed be the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be thou, O Lord. So 18 times, 18 blessings, 18 prayers, ending with the refrain, blessed be you, O Lord. Blessed be thou, O Lord. So I'm not that good at math, but I use my calculator during my sermon prep, and 18 times 3 is 54. And 54 times in the house of God, the blessing of the Lord through the lips of God's people is going forth. And I think what Peter is doing here, he's reminding, especially those Jewish Christians that are dispersed, he's reminding them of those 18 blessings in the synagogue. He's bringing them back to that reality and reminding them. And there's that, I I can imagine that longing and that homesickness. They could remember their times in the synagogue of reciting those blessings, reciting those 18 prayers and ending them with, blessed be thou, O Lord. So I would encourage us all here today that we would say the 18 blessings. That every time we pray, 18 times, 20 times, 50 times, that we would end it with, blessed be you, O Lord. Blessed be you, O Lord, no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm going through, blessed be you, Lord. We will bless the Lord at all times. 54 times a day, blessed be thou, O Lord. I pray that that, that, that would be heard through all of our lives. Why? Why should we bless the Lord at all times? Because he's worthy. But what does the text say? Number two here this morning. Bless the Lord at all time. Why? Because of his great mercy. Because of his great mercy. Look what Peter says here. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his. If you can't figure out a reason to bless God. You're looking all around and you think, Pastor Ben, that sounds really great. That I would bless the Lord at all times. But I can't figure out a reason why. You can't? Let me help you. According to his great mercy. Has God ever been merciful to you? Has he ever been merciful to you? You got a reason to bless him. You had a reason to bless him. Our God is a merciful God. Peter now focuses on an an attribute of God that causes us to bless him at all times. If there's no other reason 
that God gives us. If our bodies are wrecked with disease and, and, and we don't have what we need to meet our needs and, 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 and there's struggles all around us, if, there, if we have all of those temporary circumstances that are not the way that we need them to be, if for only one reason that we bless the Lord, it's because of His mercy. He is a merciful God. He is gracious towards us. Look at God's promise to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4. It says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. Who is our God? It, does he give us mercy? Yeah, he does. But he is a merciful God. That's why he is merciful. Because this is who he is. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Our God is a merciful God. Listen to the psalmist David speak of the mercy of God. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Why? For his mercy endures forever. As believers in Jesus Christ, we should always have a reason to bless the Lord at all times because not only is He a merciful God, but as He acts in mercy towards us, it's a mercy that doesn't stop. It's a mercy that endures forever. Psalms 116, I love the Lord because He's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Our God is merciful and His mercy endures forever. I will bless the Lord at all times because God has been merciful to me and His mercy never ends. My life and your life, we're not deserving of mercy. None of us can deserve it. None of us can earn it. Mercy is is an unmerited gift that you get not because you're good enough, not because you've earned it, but because God is merciful, period. That's it. End of story. You can come with all your religious ideas and all of your things you think you've done to earn the mercy and grace of God, and there's nothing that you can say. There's nothing you can bring to the table. God is merciful simply because that's who he is. And, 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 And if that's all he ever does for us, then he's worthy that we would bless him for the rest of our days on this earth because of his great mercy. What is, what is mercy like? It's kind of like this. Mercy, this is what God's mercy is like for us. We are guilty. We are infinitely guilty and deserving of death. That's what scripture says, that we were born in sin. By nature, we are children of wrath like, like the rest of mankind. And no one of us, not one of us, the book of Romans says, has, is good or does good on our own. That we're all guilty. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are like sheep. We've all gone astray. We've all gone our wrong way. So we're guilty. It's like us being guilty of a crime that we maybe even just in this picture, maybe the idea we're standing before an earthly judge and we're guilty. We are guilty. We stand before the judge, and the judge has the gavel, and he's going to bring the gavel down. He's going to sentence. The trial has happened. We've been convicted. We're guilty. We're going to prison. The judge is ready to bring the sentence down. This is what Dom was talking about during our, our communion time. And right before he slams the gavel down to sentence us for life in prison, somebody comes from the back of the courtroom and throws up his hands and says, Wait! Wait a moment. I have something to say. And the person comes and says, Judge, yeah, you're right. They're guilty. Yes, you're right. They committed the crime. Yes, you're right. They deserve the sentence. But wait a minute. I am going to take their punishment. I'm going to go to prison for them for the rest. I'm taking the punishment. And that, my friends, my brothers and sisters, and for those of you here today who are not believers, that's the gospel. That's Christianity, that Jesus is the one in the back of the courtroom who says, I'm coming to take your place. I'm coming to give you something you don't deserve. You deserve the punishment because of your sin. But Jesus says, no, I'm giving you mercy. I'm giving you mercy. I'm taking your place. And the the payment he paid was death. This is what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. He took our place. Jesus is the perfect reflection of, of the goodness and mercy of God the Father. If you want to know what mercy looks like, look no further than Jesus. If you, wanna, if you look at somebody and, and, and you think, man, they, they really are so merciful. 
they're such a merciful person. The reality is that, is that the reason that you think they're so merciful is because they are reflecting Jesus in some way. Because Jesus is the perfect example of the mercy of our Father God. When you want to see mercy on display, read the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Everywhere he went, he just displayed mercy. I read in Matthew this morning about the man with the withered hand. And the Pharisees are coming. The disciples were plucking grain. And they were eating on the Sabbath day. And the, the Pharisees came and said, Jesus, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. They're breaking the Sabbath. Won't you correct them? Jesus looks at him and, and says, I'm going to show you why I'm Lord over the Sabbath. I'm going to demonstrate to you why my disciples can eat grain on the Sabbath. He said, which of you, if you had a sheep that was lost and caught and in danger, would not go on the Sabbath day and rescue that sheep, rescue that animal? But to show you that I'm Lord over, over the Sabbath, he looked at a man with a withered hand and he said, stretch out your hand and be healed. He demonstrated his mercy. Whenever the Pharisees wanted judgment and they didn't want mercy, Jesus says, I'm going to show you what I'm all about. I'm not, I'm not about you thinking you've got to keep all the rules and these regulations and that's the way in which you're going to find favor with God. I'm here to show you that it is only through me. It's only through mercy. I'm a merciful God. And that is one example over and over and over again throughout the Gospels. Jesus is the perfect reflection of the goodness and mercy of God the Father. Ephesians 2 puts it like this. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Two greatest words in all the Bible. But God. Isn't that good? You need a but God in your circumstance, don't you? But God. But God. If it wasn't for but God, where would we be? I mean, think about that. Think about this reality as Christians. Think about this. We were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. We were all headed to the abyss, over the cliff, over the edge. We're all headed there. But God. But God what? Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. But God, rich in mercy. Amen. I will bless the Lord at all times. Why? Because of his great mercy. Abundant mercy, never-ending mercy, mercies that are new every morning. I will bless the Lord at all times, good times, okay, okay times, bad times, on the mountaintop, in the valley. I will bless the Lord at all times because of His great mercy. And, and what else? Why else will we bless the Lord at all times? Thirdly, because of a hope that is eternal. I will bless the Lord at all times because of his great mercy, and, and thirdly, as we go back to the text, because of a hope that is eternal. Look back at the text. Let's, let's go back to First Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What's Peter doing here? He's shifting again to point, first he shifts them to point to the reality of God's great mercy, according to his great mercy. Now he's shifting again, and he's getting these believers to realize that the temporary circumstances of their life, though they may not be good, that there is an inheritance that is waiting for them, a living hope that is undefiled, that is unfading, that is imperishable, and we will bless the Lord at all times in the middle of our temporary, fading, polluted circumstances because we know that we have a living hope that is kept in heaven for us. That's a praise break right there. That's a time for you to shout, to say amen. Amen, right? Right? That was a wake-up time, too, for some of the y'all that were falling asleep. I can see you. As human beings, our earthly experience knows nothing that is permanent. Right? Our human experience knows nothing that is permanent. Peter is saying there's something down there in the future 
that God has set aside for you that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. But all we know right here is perishable, polluted, and fading. Let's pick one area of sin. Because it's sin that pollutes the world. Because of the fall of man, sin has polluted everything in our life. I want to pick one sin and demonstrate to you how it pollutes everything. Let's talk about the sin of pride. Pride. Here's what pride does to to marriage. Pride will rob you of true intimacy. You want to talk about intense moments of fellowship? Pride will rob you of true intimacy in your marriage because you will not seek reconciliation. You dig your heels in and you say, you know what? I'm right, they're wrong, and I'm digging my heels in and I'm not going to change. It's going to rob you. That pride will rob you. It pollutes your marriage. It stains your marriage because you're unwilling to admit that you're wrong. What about parents and children? How does pride impact parents and children? Pride will hinder obedience, children. It'll hinder obedience. Why? Because you think you know more than your mom and dad. I talked about that last week. We do that with God. We argue with God. We don't obey God our Father because we think we know more than Him. Our kids do the same thing with us. They don't obey us because they think they know more than us. And we just got to keep reminding them, we know more than you. But what else does pride do? So that's on the children's side. But what does it do for, for us? Pride it, it, it hinder, will hinder obedience for children, but it will also uh, uh, it will, it will hinder a gentleness and patience for us as parents. Where we aren't patient, we're not loving, we're not kind, we're not gentle, we're not, uh, we, we, we aren't gentle with our words. We say things that we should not say to our kids. This is what pride does in marriage and families, friendships. Friendships. Pride stains friendships. Pride will stop you from admitting when you're wrong. Here's, here's how that works. You, you, you've got a friendship, and your friend comes and tells you that there's an area in your life that I'm just so concerned about. You're going in a direction that's not good for your life. What does pride do? Pride stops you from saying, yeah, you're probably right. Pride stops you from being willing to even listen. Pride says, you know what? No, uh, that's not my problem. That's not really true. And you push away people in your life that God's brought you into your life to help you mature in the faith. It stains even friendships. What about work? Pride will sow seeds of discontentment, and then it'll lead to a rebellious heart. Wherever you're at on your job, you get discontented. I don't, you know, I don't like this, and this is not the, where I want to be, and you're discontent. And the next thing you know, if you're not careful, all of a sudden you develop a rebellious heart against those that God has placed over you. Sin stains every bit of our experience in this life. What about church? Pride will influence you to demand your own way and not seek unity within the church. You know, it, it, it will push, pride pushes us to demand our own way. This is our earthly experience where sin, our earthly experience, there's no area of our earthly experience that is unpolluted from sin. Ministry work, pride will influence you to take credit for what you could not have not done on your own. That's what pride does. Listen to David Helm. He's, he wrote a commentary. It's from the Preaching the Word commentary series on First Peter. He says this, from our vantage point, It is hard to even imagine a world undefiled by sin. A world without locks or alarms. Cities where keys would be unnecessary, for theft is obsolete. A world where every woman sleeps without fear, every man is honorable, and every child is cherished. No jails, no need for police, no sin, none at all. We are all defiled and polluted, every one of us is contaminated. No one is pure. No one is clean. The world is filled with people who have dirty hands. We can't even imagine a world opposite of that. But by contrast, Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes into a sin-stained world. He comes into a world polluted by sin. And he is the only one who is perfectly pure and perfectly holy. His character alone is spotless. Jesus is the only undefiled one. And through faith in this spotless one, we can receive an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, and imperishable. Do you believe that today? And God, through Peter, is reminding us through this text that we can bless the Lord at all times because of his great mercy. And because this earthly reality that is fading, that is temporary, that is polluted, is not our final destination if we are believers in Jesus Christ. That there is a day... 
or that will not be our experience. And that is our hope. That is a living hope. Why? Because Jesus has risen from the dead. That is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. That is the cornerstone of our hope. We can receive an inheritance that's undefiled and unfading. How many of you received an inheritance when someone passed away in your life? Anybody? How many of you are waiting on an inheritance? Not eagerly. Or at least you wouldn't admit that in church. But you're waiting on an inheritance. What are you doing when you're waiting on that earthly inheritance? What are you doing? You're you're planning. But in that planning, what are you doing? You're looking downstream. And you're thinking, there's some money coming. There's some property coming. That equals money. There's something down there coming to me. It's an inheritance that's coming. And when I get it, it's going to be better. When I get it, I'll be able to do this with it. I'll be able to provide for my family this way. I'll be able to take care of my family this way. That, that, right? That's an inheritance. Now, if you have somebody that has a lot of money, that you, maybe you even feel more hopeful. So what are you doing when you're thinking about an earthly inheritance? You're looking downstream and you have put hope in that inheritance. But you want to know the truth of an earthly inheritance? That earthly inheritance is going to run out. The earthly inheritance is temporary. That earthly inheritance, when you go to inherit it, there's going to be a great aunt, someone on your, th- your third, related to a third cousin and a grandmother down the line that shows up at the court and says, Hey, don't forget about me. I get a third. It's all temporary. You see what we're saying here? That there's nothing in this life, there's nothing in this life that we can really look to accurately and honestly put our hope in it hope that is temporary is not true hope hope that is temporary is not true hope second corinthians 4 so we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us at a weight of glory, eternal weight beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, I'm not looking to a relationship for hope. I'm not looking to an inheritance I may get for hope. I'm not looking to the Powerball. That's none of you here today. Did, did, did somebody win it? It was like 500 something million dollars. I think so, someone won it. They're going to spend it all. Government's going to take half of it. It's temporary. I'm not looking to what is seen, but to the things that are unseen. This is what Peter is saying here. Paul is agreeing with Peter, and he's saying we're not looking to the things that are seen, but we're looking, to what is, we're, not, we're looking to what is unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. Did you guys hear the news about the founder of Sweet and Low? Anybody read, 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 read the story? Who, who in here uses Sweet and Low? You probably stopped using it because it causes cancer, right? <laughs> or at least that's what they say. But the founder of Sweet and Low's name is Donald Tober. Founder of Sweet and Low, on Friday, he lived on the 11th floor of his New York City apartment, and he jumped off, and he died. He was 89 years old, and he killed himself. Why, why, did, why did Donald Tober do that? I don't know exactly the reasons, and maybe he left a note and his family will find out. But I do know why, ultimately, he did it. Because he lost hope in this life. And you know what's true about that? Is that he was right. He was right. That there's nothing in this life that can honestly give us real hope. But the problem is, is that if he would have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I don't know his spiritual state but if he would have seen that there really is real hope available for him that no matter what caused him to get to the place where he's willing to do that cause him to lose his hope in this earth he could have set his eyes on something far greater there could have been mental health issues that was going on i I don't know the story but when i read it that's the first thing i thought of as i was studying when someone does that it's because they've lost hope but it's because they've misplaced their hope in the first place The continual test of the Christian life is to choose between setting our eyes and our hope 
on temporary earthly realities versus setting our eyes and our hope on Christ and his promises. Is, Is that in your notes? You got your hand out? Cut that out. Paste it on your refrigerator. Remind yourself every day. Put it on your dashboard of your car. The continual test of the Christian life is to choose between setting our eyes and our hope on temporary earthly realities versus setting our eyes and our hope on Christ and his promises. And this is what Peter is trying to press into the hearts of beleaguered believers. He's saying, bless the Lord at all times. Bless him for his great mercy. Bless him because he has secured for us an eternal inheritance. This is not the end. Amen? And in conclusion this morning, he's telling him also, bless the Lord at all times because of his power that, that sustains. His great mercy. We bless him because he's merciful. We bless him because he's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond comparison to anything we've ever experienced in this earth. And lastly, bless him because of his power that sustains. Look back at the text. Blessed be God. The, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter concludes his doxology Right before he gets practical and starts talking about their struggles, he concludes by saying this. He points to the believers, points the believers to the source of their strength. He points them to the source of their strength. The source of the believer's life is the sustaining power of God. Do you believe that here today? The source of your Christian life is the sustaining power of God. Without the sustaining power of God, we're nothing. Without Christ in us, we're nothing. The source of of the believer's life is the invincible power of God. Don't you love what it says there in the text? That this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. It's secure. It's ours. It belongs to us. No great aunt from down the line of your family can come and take that inheritance. It's yours through faith in Christ. And it's kept in heaven how? By the power of God. And that's every area of our life. Our eternity is kept secure by God and our life is kept secure by God. When we have no power, Christ is our power. When we have no strength, Christ is our strength. Amen? What a powerful revelation. The Christian life is not centered on me, but on Christ. The Christian life is not about what I accomplish, but about what Christ has already accomplished. Cut that one out and stick that on your fridge as well. The Christian life is not about what I accomplish, but it's about what Christ has already accomplished. That's the Christian life. Colossians 1 says this. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints is this. This is the mystery of the gospel. To them, speaking of the Gentiles here in Colossians. That's you and I if there's no Jews here. We're the Gentiles. God to the Gentiles to us. He chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery of the the gospel? Which is Christ in you. That's Christianity. Religion, false religion, false religious systems are all about outside of you. What you do. How you obey. It's about your power to accomplish. Christianity is about God's power to accomplish when you couldn't accomplish anything. And then Christ comes to dwell in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is, that is the source of the power of your Christian life. Amen? When I can't find the words to praise Him. To bless Him at all times. And I know some of you, when I was at that first point, you're like, Sounds good, but I just can't find the words. When I can't find the words to praise him, it is the power of Christ in me that empowers these weak lips to bless his name. Amen? When I can't find the power to open my mouth 
And they say, God, I bless you in spite of what I see. God, I bless you in spite of I don't see anything hopeful in front of me. God, I I bless you in spite of it. That's not your own strength that causes you to do that. It is the power of Christ in you that causes you to bless the Lord when there's nothing all around you that should motivate you to bless him. It's Christ in you that empowers you to bless him. When I forget the glorious reality of the mercy of God in my life, It is the power of Christ in me that reminds me of the mercy I didn't deserve. It's not not in me to do it on my own. It's Christ in me. It's his power. When I'm tempted to place my hope in the temporary realities of earth, it is the power of Christ in me that recenters my eyes on eternal priorities. Because I am just like you and you are just like me. I drift. Do you drift like I do? You drift like I do. I drift every April. You guys know what I drift to every April? Anybody know here? What is it, Clyde? What do I drift to? The Masters Golf Tournament. I drift every April, first week of April. Don't call the office. I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) Really, I, I, I will, but I'll pause. We all drift towards focusing too much on earthly, temporary realities. But it is Christ in me that recenters my eyes on eternal priorities. We must not forget the source of our Christian life. The source of the power to live a victorious Christian life is Christ. Amen? It's kind of like this. It's kind of like the bully. It's kind of like the kid that gets bullied. A kid gets bullied every day on the way home from school. He gets bullied every day gets bullied. And he's just, man, he's getting, getting whipped every day. He's getting tired of it. He's talking to his dad. He's like, dad, I just, I just am tired of this. What do I do? And, and the dad, you know, being a dad, he wants to get out there and knock their heads in. But as an adult, he doesn't want to go to jail. So he's like, okay, I got to figure out a plan here. Son, you can do this. Just stand up for yourself. Stand up. Stand up and, and say, I'm not going to take this anymore. And I'm going to stand up and, and you're not going to do this. And so the bully, so, so the kid gets out there. It's fine. It's been going on for weeks. And he's on his way home from school. And he, he's walking home. And sure enough, the bullies come around the corner. He knows it's coming. Somewhere deep within him, he finds the courage to do it. Even though he knows he still might get his tail whipped, he finds the courage to do it. He stands up and he looks at the bullies and he says, No more! I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm finished. You guys cannot do this anymore. And to his amazement, the kids say, okay, fine, fine. No, no problem. We'll stop. And the kid's like, whoo. My dad was right. That's all I had to do. But unbeknownst to the boy, behind him, hiding in the bushes, was who? His dad. Dad was back there. And he waited just at the right time when that boy decided to be courageous. And that's the lesson the dad wanted to teach the kid, right? When he decided to be courageous and stand up, the boy saw the dad. He poked his head up. I'm here. What is that? It's Christ in me. It wasn't, it wasn't the boy's power on his own. Whose power really was it? It was the dad. That's the picture of the source of the Christian life. When we can't bless the Lord at all times, when there's no reason that we should and we can't think of any reason, it's the power of Christ in us. It's Christ hiding in the bushes. Do you remember whenever Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice Isaac? What was found whenever Abraham was willing to obey? What was found in the thicket, caught in the bushes? A lamb for the sacrifice. That's the gospel. That Christ is the sacrifice. Christ is the provision. Christ is the power. Amen? That's my my illustration about the power of Christ in us. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you He may grant me to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. 
You need power today? You need some strength today? This is my prayer for you. I'm praying what Paul prayed for his listeners. I'm praying it for you today. That according, according to the riches. Do you, do, you see the, the, do you see the picture there? It's not according to our own strength. It's the dad in the bushes, right? That according to the riches of his glory. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Can you, can you hear the believers? Can you imagine what they're going through? This is what Peter's trying to get them to see right here, even though this is Paul speaking. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we may ask or think according to what? The power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So bless the Lord at all times. Why? Because of what? Great mercy. Bless the Lord at all times. Why? No, second point. <laughs> Bless the Lord at all times because of his mercy and because of a hope that is. You can look at your notes. You got a cheat sheet. Bless the Lord at all times because of his power that. Let's do it one more time. Bless the Lord at all times. Why? Bless the Lord at all times. Why? Bless the Lord at all times. Why? Well, you guys need to come, come on, stand up. I'm about to close in prayer. You guys got to say it like you mean it. If I can sit up here and yell at you for 45 minutes, you can yell back once, okay? Three times. This is like the 18 blessings. We're going to end it like, but I'm only, we're only doing three. You guys ready? You got your paper? Bless the Lord at all times. Why? Bless the Lord at all times. Why? Bless the Lord at all times. Why? Amen. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we do thank you for those truths. Lord, we will bless you at all times. Because of your mercy that is great. Because of a hope that is eternal. And because of your power that is the source of our life. I pray that these truths would be pressed into the hearts of your people. And that they would leave today strengthened in their hearts with the strength that only comes from you. We thank you for these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I love you. I'll see you next week.